Good morning. It's time for Awaken with Dr. Joe and Mark Hullcraft. Awaken airs the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with the executive director of Real Presence Radio, Mark Hullcraft, and his brother, Dr. Joe Hullcraft, professor and director of the High Calling Program at the Avila Institute. Together with a mix of national and local personalities, connecting examples in church history, contemporary relevance, and lively witness of the saints, Mark and Joe will share how the Holy Spirit is working to awaken in all of us a deeper sense of what we are made for, a life in Christ. Good morning on this Wednesday morning. Uh, it's beautiful, April 13th. Beautiful here. Joe, our network is seeing a craziness of weather right now. I say our network, like all the areas around our network from Rapid City to Duluth. Um, you could sure. be, this morning in our area, Joe, you could be looking at a nice 40-degree sunny morning, you know, possibly mm-hmm. like in the Sioux Falls area. Or you could be near Grand Forks or even like Dickinson, Minot. And you might be under ten inches of snow right now. It's it's oh um, my gosh, and that's just within oh the last twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this wow. is this is classic North Dakota, Minnesota April weather. And um, wow. you'll and so if people in the north are grumpy, that's why. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> so if you're listening, uh, and you're in the Grand Forks area or Minot or um, under a foot of snow. Just know we are thinking of you and praying for you. Um, Fargo, we were expecting the snow, and we're still we're sp- supposed to get some tomorrow. Um, and again, I- I've heard anywhere from ten to twenty inches, and yet we've not we don't have any. It's been raining pretty consistent. So that's the weather report from uh, our local studios here in Fargo. <laughs> what are you looking at, Joe? Oh gosh, Mark, we had seventy degrees yesterday. So I, I don't, I don't know if I don't know if, if you want listening to... <laughs> audience wants to hear from me right now. <laughs> well, when we get to no, seventy, actually, we'll we are st- we're set to. Uh, I still think have snow next week. Um, we were just looking at weather patterns yesterday. Not that awakens all about the weather, but uh, you know we do have snow as late as mid to late April. So that's not entirely uncommon. Yeah. Well, and, and but anyhow. True to form, Joe. Around here, weather is a big deal. Uh, it, it's yeah, often the true. forefront of conversation, period. So, um, but I think what you were starting to head to is let's let's get into this. Let's pray. Yeah. Um, Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of waking up with you, for your wisdom and your guidance and just your invitation to us in making our morning offering in prayer and supplication, especially in this holiest of weeks of the liturgical year, of the lived year, uh, this profound Holy Week, Lord, we ask that you would continue to teach us to pray as we ought. Pray as we ought, to think as we ought, and to live as we ought. Give us courage where we lack it. Give us boldness where we lack it, and give us gentleness Uh, where we lack it, Lord. Please fill these gaps within us. We pray and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit and always through the intercession of our Blessed Mother together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So good. Joe, a funny moment. So for for our family and for many families in the spring, uh, it's track season. You know, and mm. I, as I was just making the sign of the cross, this could reveal that maybe maybe I'm not easily distracted right now, or <laughs> um, as I'm doing the sign of the cross, I'm mindful, you know, we, we sang the anthem before the meet, which I love. Okay. And uh, yeah. I find, I don't know if you ever do this, uh, or if people, if any of our listeners ever do this, um, when the anthem's done, I sometimes make the sign of the cross. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, I, oh, I, I I do that all the time. Yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> and so it's like, um, okay, like, <laughs> anybody looking? Like, all right, unintentional yeah. Catholic witness. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, well, uh, yeah, it, it, the, the, there's something about hitting the pause button, entering into that, and entering into that song that, and I, I think in our mind it attaches itself to um, prayer and, and and certainly not that the anthem is you know, some kind of prayer of allegiance to God, but in of itself, I think there's something sacred about it with respect to, you know, what our country stands for with freedoms and, and so on and so forth. So um, it's not too distant from, you know, from w- when we pray. Yes, exactly. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but uh, in this morning, and so no smooth transition, <laughs> but this morning, what I, what we want to dive into uh, and Joe and I were talking about this before. It, it's so fitting, you know, within the prayer I referred to the time that we're in and that it's Holy Week. And um, we're, we're jumping back into the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And there's a question about fasting. And, and, and actually, you know, as we continue to explore, Joe and I continue, we'll continue to explore the, not only the questions that Jesus asks, but then even the questions that people ask of Jesus. You know, and so... We decided we even skipped a question or two because it was just so fitting uh, in regards to fasting and the nature of Holy Week. And as we um, as we come to the near end of Lent, though we're not done with Lent, and I emphasize that because um, we're, we're entering into what will be the most important phase, the most important experience of Lent, in that the Sacred Triduum. Um, but I'm going to pick up Gospel of Matthew chapter nine. Verses fourteen well, and seventeen. As, as you're going to to those verses, I would just add because this is really important that uh, you know we ought to be mindful of the liturgical season, right? In, in how we live our days, and so when there are passages that come to mind and are made present to us that are tied to the, the, the liturgical season and what we're experiencing, it's really important. So even as you say we skip one or two verses, the reality is we skip some verses as they relate to questions to Jesus, but we haven't skipped anything with respect to our Lord's questions. And here, as as we've done so, as we've just been moving forward with our Lord's questions, we find ourselves in Holy Week uh, with the next question about fasting. Uh, and so I, I find it um, fitting that that we have been given this opportunity to just move with the spirit as the spirit is, is guiding the program. And, and for this, I am grateful, you know, and how he reveals himself um, in his providential love. Indeed, Joe. Well said. So we're going to pick up from verse 14. 
Then the disciples of John approached him and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast much, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old cloak with a piece of unshrunken cloth, for its fullness pulls away from the cloak, and the tear gets worse. People do not put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst. The wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. Rather, they pour new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. And there we are, Joe, and this, there's a question, and it's, it's a great question. It's a good question. Why do we and the Pharisees fast much? And just to remind people, it was the disciples of John who approached him, yes. John the Baptist. So the, yes. the disciples of John the Baptist, it's not that they're anti-Jesus. Uh, I think they're asking the question from a good place. Why do we and the Pharisees fast much, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered them, and, that, and really the rest of it was him speaking. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? That's the question Jesus asks um, in classic Hebrew fashion, answering a question with a question. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But then he goes on to say more, Joe, and, and we, got, we have the next almost hour to just peel this back, peel back some of these layers. Yeah, and Mark, you've already hinted at maybe the most important thing, all right? As we have talked again and again, you take each verse um, by itself, and there's going to be a lot of weight to it. There's great significance to the fact that this just isn't anyone asking Jesus about fasting. It's, it's John's disciples, right? So John the Baptist was a very intense man. He led a very ascetical life, right? So fasting was very much... Um, a part of his daily living. And so his disciples following him, certainly fasting with great intensity. Um, yeah, w- w- what's going on here? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a fair question. So the question asked by the Baptist disciples, um, as, as we kind of engage just not this verse, but also the context, Mark, already, I think, begins to hint at um, at fasting having become among them, not a means to an end, but maybe somehow an end in itself. Mm. And, and what do we mean by that? But the forging of a reputation for ascetical holiness in contemporary Israel, that in of itself it was going to be enough. You know, Mark, in religious circles, the temptation is never far from us to allow an originally urgent need to gradually lose its dynamism, right, and, and, and become entrenched as another ritual practice whose genesis is, is and was and is altogether forgotten, right? You know, in our initial conversions, we are excited about a number of things. And then in our mind, we, we, we commit to it, but we haven't in heart, right? And so then it just kind of becomes an end in itself, um, now, I don't think this is a reflection of the Baptist, of course, because why would the Baptist fast? Well, he fasted in order to persevere in watchfulness to not miss the Messiah. Um, his disciples, on the other hand, began to classify this as, as something else. Now, I bring this up because this is what we experience all the time, especially when it comes to fasting. Yeah, right? almost an overzealousness. To, sure. 
I mean, that's where it can start sometimes. Yeah, yeah, the overzealousness and and it, it, all good, you know, all good with respect to uh, our motivations, at least initially. And over time, we can begin to to grumble, right? Uh, and all the while, <laughs> waiting for the clock to strike twelve oh one to to have pizzas and hot dogs yeah. and all the rest. <laughs> Give me the steak, Joe. Give me the steak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so so that so it is. They ask. Uh, why do you? Uh, why do your disciples not fast? Now, what's interesting is they did not ask Jesus, "Why do you not fast?" But why do your disciples not fast? You know, they wouldn't ask the Baptists such a question, um, and, and neither would they Jesus. But they focus on his disciples because they themselves are disciples. Now, what's interesting, Mark, is that Jesus answers the question you read. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. The question, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And I dare say that is a bit of a flat translation because the Greek itself, when you translate it, is much more um, dramatic, poetic, grand, evocative. Uh, it, It translates, the sons of the wedding chamber cannot mourn, can they? That the sons of the wedding chambers cannot mourn, can they? And even as we talk about answering a question with a question, this question is incredibly rich because he makes the statement, the sons of the wedding chambers cannot mourn, with this, can they? Like, here it is before you, can they? So as you noted, and as we've talked about a great deal, he answers a question with a question, um, so, so that... You know, so to put before them, uh, John's disciples, to put them in a position of having to reflect more deeply. Can they, he asks. Right? Now, as this interpretation is probably better read, Mark, as the sons of the wedding chamber cannot mourn, can they? We are made to interpret this as, as something more deeply uh, mystical. Indeed. Right? Uh, Indeed, yeah. You know, the, it's more provocative. Jesus, it, very much so. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom in the following verse. Um, the church is the wedding chamber. Um, and, and his disciples are the sons of the wedding chamber. Right? So the fire of our Lord's, of Jesus' mystical language here, Mark, is in so many ways meant to lure John's disciples away from a, a hardening, ascetical, and ritualistic view of piety by plunging, if you will, the practice of fasting back into the dynamism of the mystical drama where it belongs. And I know I'm using the word mystical a lot, but Mark, I, I think we've talked about it before. We're not baptized into the body of Christ, but the mystical body of Christ, right? And what our Lord is doing here is he's plunging John's disciples and all of us who are willing to listen in here, right, into this mystical drama of which fasting belongs. It's just not the, the, the straining of, of body and, and, and heart in the abstract, in the abstract, in the abstract, but towards his beloved, be, be, towards Jesus himself. Right? Um, and so this is something that we are meant to, to reflect upon, that, that discipleship in Christ evolves beyond the traditional relationship in the ancient world between student-teacher and into this union between 
Friends, yes, but again, more deeply between bride and bridegroom. Jesus uses bridegroom here in this passage, Mark. Um, He describes himself as a bridegroom, and, and by doing so, he applies to himself this Old Testament image um, for God in relationship to Israel. A husband, wife, bridegroom, bride, uh, this was probably the richest image in the Old Testament. Why? Because it could communicate, you know, in its depth, God's love for man, and in turn, what he desires for man. Um, It's hard for some of us to get our head around it, but certainly what John Paul II highlights, Mark, in his Theology of the Body, is that... um, you know, b- between man and woman, um, the, 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 the sexual union that man and woman experience um, in, in human terms is the closest thing we can des- de- describe or get at in our relationship with God, which is to simply say God's desire to become one with us, right? Um, when Jesus uses the language of a bridegroom and attaches it to himself, in particular to this passage, in light of fasting, what is he doing? He is saying that fasting rightfully belongs in this in this mystical drama. And so, just my last point here, Mark, um, and one I think to be very important is that, uh, and, and, and I think a salient point from Jesus is for a Christian, you know, it would be perverse to be more attached to self-denial and mortification than to the, the celebration of the, of the divine presence of Jesus, right? Uh, so, for example, we don't, um, we don't fast on Sundays. Uh, we don't fast when we are in, in celebration mode. We don't fast on the occasion of a wedding. Weddings are joyous occasions. And this is what Jesus wants us to see. Yeah, there's two sides of the coin, right? Uh, and that's that's what he's getting at. Joe, I I am loving how you articulated that, and really the beauty of Jesus' language when you kind of uh, lifted up what's the Greek translation here. Um, and as you were talking, what came to mind because we almost hear Saint Paul give an expose on this very thing. If you were to fast forward to his letter to the Ephesians, chapter five, you know, in mm-hmm. those. Those verses, particular 21 to 33. Yes. You know, but he, uh, I think it's verse 32. um, He he sums up similar. You know, you said, I keep saying mysterious. Well, you know, you're in good company. St. Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. Um, and, And this is in the context of this relationship of wives and husbands and how they can reflect uh, the bride and the bridegroom. Right, and so it is a mystery, and, and, and there's there's no shame in holding back in that because it's in those mysteries that we plunge, Joe. It's in those mysteries that we plunge ourselves into, and we're immersed in it. And this is the life of of the Christian, the life of the Catholic Christian, mm-hmm. that we immerse ourselves in this. And we got to take a break here in just a couple minutes, Joe. Or we we'll take a break here very soon, but we'll come back in a couple minutes. And I do, I want to come back and pick up a bit more on here we are talking about fasting but i think it'd be most appropriate for us to also what's on the other side of that fasting and so we'll come back to that on the other side of this break stay with us don't go anywhere we'll be right back with more after this short coffee break you're listening to awaken on the real presence radio network 
know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish, one who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com slash contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. When a bishop comes to visit a parish, whether it's confirmation or some other event, it's kind of a kind of a formal liturgy, kind of a formal occasion. But when uh, when I get to talk on the radio, I just get to chat with with whoever I'm visiting with, and we we talk about all kinds of different topics and subjects, and people get a chance to kind of uh, hear my thinking on this or that, and different issues affecting the church and and their communities and. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of a way for the people of the parishes to get in on the conversation, you might say. And when I do visit the parishes, I try to just stop and visit with as many people. Usually there's some sort of a gathering afterwards. And, and I try to make a point to say hello to everybody and just sometimes sit down and, and visit for a little bit. But this is a little bit more of an extended chat, a little more of an in-depth conversation, and people can... can uh, listen in, you might say, and sometimes call in and ask questions as well. Searching for more great Catholic content? Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com. Find Catholic news you can trust, information about events coming up in the local area, and the latest on what's happening at the RPR Network. And don't forget that you can listen to any of our stations around the clock from anywhere in the world. Need prayers for someone or something in your life? You can submit those through our online form for the entire family to pray for. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Online at realpresenceradio.com. Welcome back to Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Now back to more lively, faith-filled conversation with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. Welcome back to Awaken. You're listening to Mark uh, with Dr. Joe Holcraft. Joe joins us from Ohio. If you're just tuning in, um, we're exploring the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9 when the disciples of John the Baptist approach Jesus and ask him, hey, why do your disciples uh, not fast? You know, we, we fast. Why aren't they? And so we're explore, exploring this scripture passage that takes us from verses 14 to 17. And right before the break, we ended up with... The nature of fasting, it's not, you can't just explore the fasting, the, the giving up, the sacrifice, without exploring or anticipating what's on the other side of that. Um, because it's so woven into the life of the church. And Joe, that's where um, I was really just grooving um, where you left off with that. I mean, in, in some powerful imagery taken from verses 14 and 15, when you uh, start to dive into what the Greek translation says. Uh, just diving yeah. beautifully into that relationship of the bride and bridegroom and how Jesus yeah. being that, the bridegroom, whereas the church is the bride, and how we answer into that uh, that intimate relationship. This is the intimacy Christ wants for us. And it's interesting because I think sometimes in the life of the church, as a disciple of Jesus, especially in the season of, of Lent, um, we do, we, we can really, we desire to enter in to a spirit of sacrifice and it kind of, in some ways, uh, metaphorically speaking, destroys us, <laughs> you know, 
uh, or we might anticipate with a kind of a, a fear, trepidation. This is what we got to do, and you want to, but you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, as St. Paul says. Um, but then to go into this with a deeper understanding of but what's on the other side, um, and you, you reflected quickly, and I want to get into this more, why we don't fast on Sunday. You know, yeah, and of course um, the great feast <clears throat> coming soon of, of Easter. Yeah, yeah. A couple things. First of which, Mark, is uh, I want to give a shout out to the folks at Red Lake Fall and, and Red Lake Falls Parish. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was out there a few weeks ago and I, I forgot to do that. And it just, yeah, St. Joseph's a flash in my mind. <clears throat> I was out there to do a parish mission. It was a lot of fun. A lot of great folks out there um, with the pastor, Father Bob Schreiner. So anyhow, yeah. I just want to give a shout out to them. And that's Diocese uh, Mark, of Crookston, just for our listeners wondering, okay, where's Red Lake Falls? <clears throat> If you're in Rapid City, you don't always know. <laughs> you know, Red, Red Lake yeah, Falls sure. is the epicenter of all things good. No, <laughs> so um, no, absolutely. So, Mark, with respect to what I was hitting at earlier, just not on on Sundays. We'll get that out here in a sec. But even more specifically, the as you use the phrase, destroys us. You know, <clears throat> we do get in this kind of rut during Lent. Well, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. That, that is what I was talking about with respect to um, St. John the Baptist disciples. Right? Right. That this, right. this, this forging of an ascetical way of life that becomes something other than what it ought to be. Um, and we have to go back to Jesus himself when he fasted. Right? He was led by the Spirit. When we are led by the Spirit in anything we are due, it, it will be life-giving, and what is life-giving is fruitful, right? So um, it will be what it needs to be, and, and part of that is just not its fruitfulness, but also a sense of belonging to God, doing His will, and the joy that comes with it. Uh, this is why St. Paul says, and, and Peter as well, in his epistles, that, that there is a joy that comes with suffering, because when that suffering is conformed to Christ and led by the Spirit— um, it is it is one that comes with a certainty that you are in God and doing God's will. So that's an important piece. Now to the Sunday and, and really getting at just not the disciples' question to Jesus, but then Jesus' question in response, we have to appreciate, Mark, that yes, there is at the foundation this mystical language that is caught up in the mystical drama of what Jesus has come to establish. I talk about Sunday because Sunday is the great feast day. It is the great uh, marriage supper of the Lamb, as Revelation chapter 19, 7 speaks to it. And it is a marriage because the supper itself, the Eucharist, is where our Lord enters into a bridal union with our souls. Jesus wants us to see this, right? And all throughout the synoptics, you get this language that at the very least, suggests or points to this great bridal imagery. And in the Gospel of John, it is everywhere, incredibly rich, um, and just not in the Gospels and his epistles, but also the book of Revelation. So what Jesus wants us to see is that when he is in our midst, when his presence is in our midst, notably when we receive him in the Eucharist, which is encapsulated and, and caught up on, on Sunday. Now, we, we go to Mass every day, of course, or if we can. But as we talk about it for the sake of this passage, um, 
Sunday represents that great that great feast day um, with respect to why we don't work on Sundays, why we celebrate, why we feast. Uh, you talk about Easter. Easter is is <laughs> the feast of all feasts, right? Um, and this is why we we come together as families and we celebrate as we do. Um, and that feasting is at its best mark when we have sacrifice, right? When we have embraced our fasting for what it was intended to be. Um, if, if we have persevered in our Lenten practices, Easter Sunday, just not spiritually, but, but psychologically, emotionally, physiologically, it's different on, on Sunday. Right? I, I've, I was appreciating uh, my daughter. She, Avila, she's given up spicy foods for Lent. Now, you know, to, to, to many, some might say spicy foods. What kind of sacrifice is that? This is, a, this is a young girl who puts spicy food on everything. She'd put it on ice cream if I'd let her. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, we were, um, uh, the other night we were, we were having tacos and, you know, she's oh, dad, you're torturing me with these pork tacos because it's the spicy sauce that makes these tacos the, you know, tacos, right? Right, right. Um, and we were having a conversation about this, and it led to a conversation about experiencing Easter Sunday. And she she had this smile on her face, Mark, not because she can just finally get her her, her spice, right? But no, because of what she knows she's going to experience. And that night, I was made to reflect. Um, I, I went for a walk. I was made to reflect about what, what we're talking about right now. The deeper we enter into the mystery of sacrifice, Mark, the deeper sense of of the joy that awaits us, right? You know, I, I think our listening audience gets what I mean. Because if we have embraced our fast, even if it be for a period of time, and maybe we've lacked in perseverance, and you've thought about what's on the other side of fasting, yeah, you know, it gets, it, it, this is exciting. Right, that there's something that awaits me, awaits uh, for me, and Mark, this is inside this passage for sure. Because what does our Lord say? You know, I will be taken away from you. I will be taken away from you, and that will be a time for fasting. And then I will come again. Uh, so we are made to reflect upon fasting as not only the importance of it. You know, we need to think about the importance of fasting, but also as we do what as you have emphasized what's on the other side of it, um, because that is very important. Now, Mark, one last point um, on this topic, and I, it's striking to read the passage. When Jesus says, days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, the taken away, is, it's a, um, the Greek there is a, a ripping from, you know, a pulling away from. Certainly, the, the Greek would suggest that Jesus is, is wanting us to think about, speaking of mystery, the mystery of his cross and ultimately redemptive death and, and how we are called to then share in this. But more globally, as we look at this passage, Mark, and we talk about fasting uh, and what is on the other side of it, it is something we need to be thinking about because as we do, it then I think also at the same time encourages a more faith-filled, uh, spirit-led fast. Well, and Joe, I, I, I building on the imagery of uh, a wedding feast revealing the marriage 
and the marital union. And so the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. When the bridegroom is taken away, there's, you know, when Jesus is speaking in this language of that, that intimacy, that closeness that is a mystery, and you think of the, these, those, those holy marriages that have really entered into the life, uh, that, that marital union, and then if it is ripped away, in what in some way or form, um, the the pain. I mean, it, you see, and this isn't the point of the show per se, but the woundedness of divorce or uh, mm. a widow. Mm. You know, mm. that is often a language used when you uh, listen to couples that are suffering in that way. Um, sure, sure. You know, whatever has led to that moment, but it is a ripping away, and so there's something. Yeah more here right there's something more here and so when he says the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away and as you said really the the greek translation it's not just more dramatic but i think it speaks more true to what the experience of the heart and and the spiritual and the the mystical realm that you know what is a bit unseen but no less felt um Mm -hmm. and experienced agreed agreed well, I want to, Joe, we got a few minutes here before the next break, and I want to dig into, because um, the passage doesn't stop there. We go no, on. No, it doesn't. Verse 16. It, oh, go ahead, Joe. Oh, yeah, I, I want to, you know, as it's in another important point here, Mark, be, before we go on, is the fact that it would appear, and it comes, it comes through pretty clean, actually, in the Greek, that as we move through these verses, the, the, Jesus is using the word fasting and mourning as something almost synonymous, right? So, you know, on, on one hand, we fast um, so as to empty and to be filled up with God, right? We hunger for um, material things when we fast, but in reality, if that fast is spirit-led, we end, we end up, paradoxically speaking, hungering more for God. There's another aspect to fasting that is deeply biblical, and that is a fasting that comes from our mourning. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, right? Um, yes, on one hand, that speaks to weeping with those who weep and comforting the sorrowful, and it also speaks to grieving man's earthly plight, and as we do... And we, and we lament man's fall, 2022, we need to be present to this, we enter into a fasting. So Jesus wants us to see that as he is being ripped away from us, as, as, as he was ripped away from the disciples and, and he said, yes, there will be a time for lamentation and fasting, there will be a time for mourning and fasting, um, we too need to be mindful of that, Mark, that we then might conform our fasting to the crucified Lord, that it, it have its redemptive value, um, bringing souls to, closer to God. Uh, it, this is an important part to fasting, and one I think that is deeply biblical, as our Lord himself kind of uses the word fasting and mourning as something interchangeable. And, and so that's an important piece, I think, as we talk about um, fasting. Uh, the, the importance of entering into, as we've talked about it in past episodes, Mark, uh, God's arithmetic, right? Where there's loss, there's gain. Where there's a negative, there's a positive. 
Um, where there's death, dying to self, there's life, life in the spirit, life in Christ. Um, and fasting is a way of entering into the mathematics of God and, and bringing uh, souls closer, closer to God. I love that imagery, Joe. Uh, God's arithmetic. <laughs> because uh, it does not make sense to our human senses, right? Um, yeah, it's it's uh, Fulton Sheen would call it a spiritual physics, right? And we have physics, yeah. and then the spiritual physics of of how God works, um, and uh, spiritual physics is how God works in spiritual life, right? So, um, again, reflecting upon mourning, it's it's something I think for our listening audience to be thinking about as Jesus talks about fasting in this passage. And, and Joe, there's an area of fasting that we've really not even discussed much so far, and that would be tying in fasting into the reality of spiritual warfare as well. You know, um, and we, we've hit on that before in an earlier episode in regards to intercessory prayer and the power of yeah. fasting uh, as a form of intercessory prayer. You know, and I think we'll hit into that. We'll we'll head into that a little bit when we come to our saint of the day, um, but. If we could just take a moment as we go into verse 16 and 17, because it almost seems like, Joe, it almost seems like there's a jump. Here we are talking about fasting, uh, the relationship Jesus has with his disciples, the bride and the bridegroom. And then we go on to see, no one patches an old cloak with a piece of unshrunken cloth, for its fullness pulls away from the cloak and the tear gets worse. People do not put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst the wine spills out and the skins are ruined. Rather, they pour new wine into fresh wine skins and both are preserved. What's Jesus getting at with this? Because he's continuing to uh, peel back some layers here. He is. And I know we don't have a lot of time, Mark, but, but simply, and this is important, that you know Jesus has already applied to himself um, bridegroom, right? Um, but he's the new bridegroom as the New Testament highlights. Um, and by that, Jesus wants us to see that um, he has not come to abolish the Old Covenant, abolish the Old Testament, a- a- abolish all things that were, you know, old scriptures, but transform it. And in doing so, that we might enter more deeply into it. Um, and as he is talking about, as he's speaking with John's disciples here, um, in very explicit terms, he wants them to see that there's there is a new dynamism at play, right? There there is a new wine to drink, <laughs> um, and you can't once you once you have taken from the new wine, once you have taken from the new grape, you can't go back to the old way, or it will burst. You know, when we experience conversions, I was just talking about. I just mentioned Fulton Sheen's name. Fulton Sheen says that you know that you have encountered Christ. When after you have encountered him, all you can think about is Christ. But he goes on to say, Mark, that is Fulton Sheen, that once we experience that metanoia encounter with Christ, there is a kind of post-encounter conversion where you spend the rest of your life gradually transforming your life to Christ, uh, gra- gradually transform your life in Christ. If you, uh, if you slide back and you fall back into your old ways, there is a kind of bursting that happens I- inside of us, right? It's it's the guilt, it's the shame, it's the soul, oh, and so uh, forth. Joe, exactly. And 
You know, we, we got to jump to a break, but let's come back to this on the other side of our break because I think it's important. There's a couple of uh, a couple of connections I think really important for us to make just in very simple practices of the spiritual life. So stay with us on Awaken. You're with Dr. Joe and Mark Holcraft. You've made the right choice to listen to Awaken. Stay with us. There's much more to come after this short break. northern Italian town of Padua is the Basilica of St. Anthony. In addition to the body and relics of the skilled speaker and great evangelist, available for viewing is also the incorruptible tongue of the saint. Psalm 16 tells of God not allowing the Holy One to decay. Though few of us are great orators, we do evangelize daily through our choice of words. Perhaps this Lent, in preparing for being a new person through the resurrection of Christ, We can strive for real holiness and may want to consider choosing our words more carefully. Like St. Anthony, our tongues too can be incorruptible. The words from our mouths can offend and harm others while lasting long. Or, with prayer, we can skillfully speak with power to help others and to build others up. This has been a bit of Catholic encouragement from Michael Gisandi. like to shop local, but sometimes there are items you can't easily get nearby. The next time you shop online, think of Real Presence Radio. If you use our special link, Real Presence Radio will get a portion of your purchase price on Amazon, and it won't cost you anything additional. Just go to realpresenceradio.com slash smile, and you're all set. You'll be directed to Amazon Smile, where a portion of your purchase price will be donated to Real Presence Radio. It's easy, fast, and doesn't cost you a dime. Find the link at realpresenceradio.com slash smile. Real Presence Live. On the next Real Presence Live, Wednesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, Tim Mosier is your host coming to you live from the Fargo studio. Deacon Mark Creechy from the Diocese of Crookston will join us to pray the way of mercy. Then St. Paul's Newman Center is gearing up for the 2022 bike race. Father James Cheney will be on to share more about this. And Father Jason Miller from the Diocese of Fargo will explain the sacred triduum. All that and much more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live. Thanks for starting your day with us. Now, back to more Awaken, right here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Welcome back to Awaken. I'm with Dr. Joe Holcraft. I am Mark Holcraft. Um, we're, we're talking Matthew 9, question about fasting. Um, there's such rich context uh, in the scriptures of verses 14 to 17, um, we're Joe. We're moving into, or we're kind of moving out of um, the direct talk, if direct talk, if you will, regarding fasting, um, the importance of it in the season of Lent, but not just in the season of Lent, but certainly in the, in, in life, uh, in the spiritual mm-hmm. life, the nature of mm-hmm. sacrifice, um, what's on the other side of sacrifice, and in this case, uh, the gift of feasting, and why the importance of feasting. Um, it's part of the Christian life. Um, but then as we we're diving in, you know, verses 16 and 17, as I said before, they seem to almost kind of come out of the blue. But as, as usual, uh, Jesus is peeling back layers. He's taking us deeper. He's inviting us into a deeper sense of not just understanding him, <laughs> uh, 
but what it looks like to live in this, to live as a disciple. You know, so to pick up no one patches an old cloak with a piece of unshrunken cloth, for its fullness pulls away from the cloak and the tear gets worse. People do not put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst. The wine spills out and the skins are ruined. Rather, they pour new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. And Joe, as you were, as you were digging into this, really what was coming to mind was once we are changed, and you referred to Archbishop Sheen, once we encounter Christ, we are changed and we desire nothing but Jesus. And there's the, the, there's the immediate, we desire nothing but Jesus, but then there is the ongoing conversion that is the rest of our life, God willing. Um, we can no longer, after we've encountered Jesus, after we've made sacrifice, after we have changed, we run into this where we try to, maybe we'll have some of those old challenges, old temptations arise, old issues, um, maybe that not so much for us directly, but indirectly surrounding us. Mm-hmm. We try to go back to fix them the same way we would have. And in, in a certain mm-hmm. sense, that's almost an, an, a, that's another kind of old wineskin. Uh, or mm-hmm. we're trying to patch our new self with unshrunken cloth, but we're new. It's not going to work. And it's not, it's not yeah. meant to work. Yeah. Um, such is the, the journey in the spiritual life. Sure, sure. Yeah, well said, Mark. And, you know, it's it's always to be mindful that even, say, in our post-encounters with Christ, where we then live a, a life pursuing holiness, um, if, in fact, we slide back dramatically, God's mercy always awaits, right? So we, we need to speak to that. We I just need to note that because... I don't want any of our listeners to think that, you know, if if I go down that slippery slope and slide back into, you know, um, my BC days before Christ days, then yeah, I call then I call the, BC know, pre-conversion. Yeah, right? there you go. If, if, you know, people like to say politically correct, yeah. but how about pre-conversion? Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> I like that. Um, but the reason why I do highlight that, and really, I'm just echoing Fulton Sheen. Uh, the great Fulton Sheen is because he is well aware that the kind of um, game of psychology we can play, you know, the psychological, psychological gymnastics that we can perform in, in mind and heart that, you know, we, we begin to sin and then old shames come back and then we go and dive into this portal and slip into a deep darkness and we, we can't get out of it and so on and so forth. So um, now, what is important, Mark, with respect to what is a part of that post-conversion is fasting, right? And to the, the, the text itself, clearly Jesus wants us to see that fasting itself is to become an expression of the individual disciples' participation in the Christ drama, if you will, rather than, say, a ritually imposed or ascetically inspired practice, Um it's now caught up in Jesus Christ. This is the new wineskin, Mark, right? Um, and so in, in light of that, we are made to reflect upon the importance of, of how we fast, when we fast, and how God calls us to fast, right? Um, just not during Lent, but as you noted, um, post-Lent, uh, and, and especially during ordinary times. So Jesus has, has given us a lot to think about. Um, and just not fasting, but also the importance of, again, celebrating Sunday and everything that that represents, mindful that Jesus himself 
has made himself present among us in the Eucharist. And as bridegroom, he desires to enter into this bridal union with our souls because the Eucharist is the great marriage feast. And, and certainly this is something that is caught up in this mystical language as well. Absolutely. And for our listeners, I, don't get us wrong. We're not, we're not looking past uh, this tritium or even looking past the, the nature of, of sacrifice and what we're called to during the season of Lent. Um, because I, for some, if they're just tuning in, like, well, wait, what? What do we just say? Um, oh, we, we recognize. On the contrary, exactly. <laughs> hey, we're we're about to enter into this most sacred time of the sacred triduum of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and it's so rich uh, with um, the emptying of self, you know. And um, even I would I would say, and I think um, uh, Matt Swain, I think, said this earlier this morning. You know the sunrise morning show, but so just a reminder of even if we have not really entered in most fully in this season of Lent, um, we're in the middle of such a beautiful time of Holy Week, and it, you know the culture's not going to slow down and wait for us. It's not going to set a time up for us to slow down. We need to make that decision. That frankly, that's made that can make it harder. It's made it more challenging for me. You know, um, and yet the wisdom of the church uh, offers us this most sacred time. So I hope for for our listeners, for you, uh, that we can, uh, even if we've not made the steps or really immersed ourselves in these in this mystery that I referred to earlier, um, we still have a great opportunity and time to. Um, Joe, we're talking about fasting. Um, we've not come to our saint of the day, and yet this guy is incredible. Saint Anthony of Egypt. Yeah, let's do it. Saint Anthony of Egypt. He is. Uh, he's our saint of the day for for this episode. As we're, we're talking about, you know, we've talked about fasting. We've talked about sacrifice. Uh, for those of our listeners who don't know much about Saint Anthony of Egypt, um, he is one of maybe you've heard the phrase the Desert Fathers. Uh, I think he's the first Joe of the Desert Fathers. Um, and so Saint Anthony of Egypt. He, he's from Egypt. Uh, he lived in the uh, late 3rd, 4th century. So roughly, they think he was born around 251 and died in 356. You heard that correct. The man lived to be about 105 years old, um, which is, that's just, that's beautiful. A long life, but unusual when you hear about the life of asceticism that he lived. Um, he, he was known for being a faithful Christian, um, What's striking, Joe, and we've, we've referred to this before, um, it's Matthew 6 was, was instrumental for him in uh, really having him take a look at himself and his, his life. And so in that nature of really just not giving up enough, uh, he felt like he hadn't, he, he really, he just felt like he wasn't really living uh, the Christian life. And so he gave away what he had and left for the desert. And the reason he left for the desert is because it was wild. And it was in the wild. And just, that was his way to imitate Christ as he most knew it could be most profoundly imitated. Um, to live a life of penance and sacrifice. And so he lived in a cave. And uh, St. Anthony of Egypt, what he became known for 
it's, it's, it's mind boggling. He was known for his wisdom and his, of course, his very strict ascetic practices, what he gave up. Um, he was kind of an, a regular fast uh, as far as what he ate. He did eat bugs. He ate um, just very, very little, but he, he ate what he, what he had around him. Um, what was interesting, what I find, what, some things that stood out to me is his life was of asceticism and, and being a hermit, Joe, removed from mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet people found him. They heard about this man and they would go out into the desert to find him. They knew once it was discovered which cave he was in. Slowly but surely, not only did others want to live a similar lifestyle, but who some of those people were. You know, one of those people who sought him out for his wisdom and advice was Constantine himself. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. Constantine seeks him out. So if, for any of our history buffs, recognize that name of Constantine. You know, whether you want to call him the great emperor or not, <laughs> Uh, he was a very powerful emperor of the Roman Empire. Um, and it was under his rule that, you know, you have the, was it the Edict of Milan? But that was the, yep. where he uh, allowed for Christianity for the first time under a particular kind of government. You know, uh, it wasn't that it, it wasn't that, it wasn't like there wasn't sacrifice. But this, um, so to know that Antony of Egypt is a part of that story, had a role within that. And not only introducing Constantine, but give, giving a, a viable, visible witness of the Christian life to someone like Constantine and then Constantine's mother, whom we know as St. Helen. Um, where, how do we know certain things about St. Anthony of Egypt and the life that he lived was a story written by St. Athanasius himself, um, one of the great uh, early church fathers, you know, and St. Athanasius, who was vivacious and... Uh, um, very knowledgeable. Some of the things that Anthony of Egypt Joe was known for, uh, he, he was actually known, he considered himself a stupid man, not a very smart man. Mm-hmm. And yet, mm-hmm. as people would go seek, seek him out, um, what they encountered was great wisdom. Um, and you had mentioned uh, earlier, Joe, the mind games that we can play with each other. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's stories of people who would go to see him that would also... They would try to trip him up, you know, not unlike the questions asked of Jesus where they're, they're setting up or trying to set him up. And, and he just, he didn't have tolerance for it. And he saw it for what it was. And so he was also known for, in that regard, just being fearless and calling out what, what he saw uh, and not getting caught up in the mind games. Um, yeah, Joe, I mean, there's, there's, there's incredible things in regards to of what we see in St. Anthony of, of Egypt but I think most pertinent, at least what he lifted him up for us this morning, was his spirit of sacrifice. One would ask, he's given up so much. So how about that other side, right? Uh, the other side of, of fasting in, in the spirit of feasting. Yeah, gosh, there, there is so much there, Mark. And uh, might I say part of this feasting uh, was was a, a feasting poured out for the body of Christ, right? Because he did become the, the great—he is known as Alexander the Great, or um, Anthony the Great, by the way. Yeah. Um, so if we're not going to call Constantine the Great, there is a great discussion yes, that exactly. Anthony said <laughs> Anthony call. the Great, 
really the first monk in, in by definition monk manos alone he went alone right so he went to the desert um and if we're going to apply again the word feast it's that he became a um, and understand what I'm about to say, a, a feast for the body of Christ and so far as the body of Christ going to him and receiving the food of life because of his extraordinary ascetical practices. He was plagued by demons, too, by the way. Right. So um, he would see phantoms of women, you know, I mean, he would have to <clears throat> he would have to disregard all of that. And he knew it was a plague by the adversary. Um, his ascetical practices were so intense that the the devil himself would beat him mercilessly. Um, so he, there was a great deal of spiritual, uh, spiritual warfare. This is the kind of thing that, that did get back to Alexandria and Egypt, and they were fleeing to him. And so, yeah, he became a great spiritual director, a man of, of great consolation. Uh, testimonies would be shared by Athanasius that just to be in his presence was was to be consoled. In fact, St. Anthanas- Athanasius said in his work on the Incarnation, which is one of the great all-time theological works, by the way. I would put it in my top three, St. Athanasius's work on the Incarnation. He said that it's by reflecting upon his life and the manner in which he incarnated Christ, if you will, that his own reflection upon the, the Incarnation of Christ was enriched. So this is a man that really stands unique in history, just not as a first monk, if you will, but a man who, who embraced the ascetical way, maybe like that of the Baptist, but doing so, Mark, as we've talked in the context of, of our passage, right? Doing so in the Christ drama of, of fasting, participating in the dying and emptying of Christ. This, this became, and, and follow me, if you will, a kind of feasting for other people. And that's what's so important. Um, to, to, to see, because we ourselves, Mark, are as we are called to enter into this peace, and you said it so well, um, most notably these next three and a half days, um, it's the Spirit of God working in us, right? And if it's the Spirit of God, if it's the divine indwelling inside of us, this is how we become a consolation for other people, right? Uh, and so this is a, definitely an earmark. There's so much to be had about this man's life. The most important thing, I think, would be he sought Christ in Christ alone. And as he did, he then became a libation or a wellspring, rather, for for the people that came to him. Great or small, Mark, um, he was doing extraordinary things. With that, Joe, let's, let's end quickly with St. Anthony of Egypt. Pray for us. This has been Awaken on the Real Presence Radio Network. Awaken comes to you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 7 a.m. Central with Mark and Dr. Joe Hallcraft. Want to listen to the show again? You can find the podcast any time of the day or night on our website at realpresenceradio.com slash awaken or on the Real Presence Radio app in the podcast section. Again, that's realpresenceradio.com slash awaken or in the free Real Presence Radio app. Be sure to join us again next time for more Awaken with Mark and Dr. Joe Hullcraft.